episode of Not Your Average Operator. Well, we always look forward to getting together with you guys and we always appreciate your time. We love these chats. We, we talk sometimes about, you know, stacking a batch up and clearing a month. And then we're like, we just, we get so much out of these conversations personally. Like I, I, uh, I look forward to talking to these two idiots. How are you? How are you, Mike? Pretty good. The uh, weekend was pretty busy. So I converted my whole guest bedroom into my new office so this is my first episode where i'm in my own home office which is pretty cool man i got one of those electric desks i got a map of the world on the wall shelves everywhere i look half professional i'm pretty proud you've also got a you've also got a piano where annie smashed out a session while a weapons class is happening in the next room with jezza and michael yeah, that's that's the corner piece of the whole room. Uh, Annie's initials are actually on the piano, so yeah, that's, that's uh, anybody that's here. I tell them they're like, oh, they're like, they're like, what's AM? I was like, oh, that's Annie McFadden, legend. <laughs> she played here once. <laughs> uh, that's funny. How how you going, Ralph? I'm good, man. Um, just uh, I'm happy to announce that most of my like I'm starting to throttle back on training now. So all the real significant evals that I had are behind me, which is kind of a good, a good thing. It's and a sense pretty, of relief. Yeah, it pretty. is. Well, mostly for my health. <laughs> I, uh, ever since December, man, I, uh, I've really, I've had to replace my workouts with study time. And you, I'll tell you what, man, I'm almost going damn near two months with not consistently working out. And the effects of it are, are pretty damn obvious. Yeah, um, they are. They, they, I can see it. I can see yeah. everything right now. No, I know, man. I'm not 100%. Don't look at me right now. But um, I'm going to put my shirt back on. <laughs> yeah, man. So I just, uh, it just, it feels good to literally wake up and not have to wake up like four hours early so I can study again, you know, and it's just, it's just consumed me for, you know, damn near six or seven weeks. So it's just nice to finally have that behind me and kind of focus on a, on a normal routine, which includes a workout and, you know, some light light studying but nothing crazy it's full on i mean say what you will about an airliner when everything's working you know and it can be quite a obviously an order highly automated a workplace but to get to the level of professionalism where you can run everything when everything is failing (laughs) and still fly accurately and you got to get across all the fuel planning and the regulations and the weight and balance and all that sort of stuff there's really a lot of work and i mean it probably doesn't surprise anyone but the, the guy and girls in the flight station at the front have done quite a bit, quite a bit of work. <laughs> well, I think what people don't really understand, I mean, and clearly, because if you're not part of that environment, then that's, you know, I, I guess you're not exposed to it. But the, I think that one of the biggest challenges is the, the dynamic that you have in the cockpit, right? So if the captain sets a, a good foundation, a good dynamic, then usually the teams work well. If they don't, then anything, especially when it goes terribly bad, then that suffers as well. So, I mean, there's just all these challenges, but one of the big ones is trying to find that gro- that kind of like that groove with your sim partner or, you know, that generally you're going to be with, you're going to be training with. Um, and lo- I was very fortunate. I had a really good, I had two really good sim partners, um, but man, we were in the trenches damn near every night. I mean, just, you know, like you're talking about, they throw the kitchen sink at you and, you know, there's pterodactyls attacking you from the air. And it was just <laughs> one thing, you know, no hydraulic systems and your hand flying into like remote places around the world. It's just, it was really challenging at times, but it, but it's fun, right? Like you have to remember. And it sets you up, Not like no joke. We've got a whole series of episodes we've done on training and so on, right? Realistic training and giving you that stress response in a safe environment under training and you fail and then you you know some master comes in ob1 walks in and tells you exactly what you could have done <laughs> i mean that's that's unreal I mean, you know i don't know what you guys call it in the australian air force we call our mate like that that your crash partner your crash buddy <laughs> is always the name when you're doing that training that's awesome right yeah, yeah so anyways that's behind me and i'm just today was my my first you know class where i could literally just go into class and not take notes and not worry about it. it's all just kind of some over water stuff it had really had more to do with fuel management, but that's like, you know, 
Yeah, yeah. Seven, well, you've had, second the, tier had the, sun, the sun on your skin. I can picture you coming out of a cave. Like, <laughs> That's real comforting. You know, like me being in the, in the water a lot and dealing with pilots. It's like, yeah, yeah, we had to do some overwater stuff. Not really concerned with it. You know, <laughs> what was the guy's name? Solly? Was his name Solly? Yeah, he studied his water shit and look what happened. So um, yep. I could see Raph just being like, sorry, everybody, I'm just, I'm, I'm nosing it in. <laughs> well, well, the open secret is he could have landed in the airport, but he realized he hadn't written a book yet. He needed something. Hey. He needed something. So, so he made a sharp left turn. I mean, that, that guy is, is the example. If you ever, if you're ever not really sure if that's all that or if he's that guy, he is that guy. Go check out his his biography. Yeah. F4, yeah. F4 pilot back in the day, safety officer in the Air Force. Yeah, he was the guy. He had his own safety consulting business as well, prior to it all. I mean, he was the guy. Right. So, Mike, you were going to uh, kick off and let us know about some topics and insights and, you know, thoughts that you had for this episode? Yes, sir, Mr. Picklesuit, I am. Um this topic idea comes from Tony Senior, who we've had on the show before. And yeah, that's uh, the great man. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. Big ups. He offered it from his own reflection of what he was thinking about when he talks to us. Um, he expressed sometimes his backstory with the podcast a little bit is he's our he's our outreach guy so he reaches out to guests and tries to organize some things and does kind of the backside which we're very appreciative because the three of us are extremely busy and he offers his own time for free to help us out so that's kind of his his story but um, him being the guy that he is he's extremely humble and and just very honest you know he always expresses uh how much he admires the three of us and we just kind of like when we hear it we kind of just shrug our shoulders like what are you talking about like we're nobody special man like tony senior like we look up to you man and he's like no that doesn't make sense you guys and you know he goes on this big thing about you know how we're just amazing and that's not that's not the deal <laughs> so his whole point is you know hey have you ever felt like you're trying too hard to fit in or realize that, you know, you, you go into a group and it could be, it could be like a group of friends, maybe in a professional setting, maybe with your, your family or a wife or a girlfriend or anything. And you're in a room and you're going, do I fit in here? Like, do I, am I trying too hard to make myself fit in here? And then a couple follow-on questions is, why do I want to fit in here? Are these my people? Uh, how can I approach it and strike up a conversation or get some type of acknowledgement that, hey, I'm in the right spot, right? I think everybody can kind of think of situations in their life where we've, we've been like that, you know? I remember going into like, geez, first grade and walking in and being like, am I in the right room? <laughs> you know, because I was scared shitless walking walk into a whole new classroom for the first time and just being like, who is everybody? Where do I go? What do I do? Uh, and then you find like that one person that you know a little bit about and you just become a leech to them. And you're like trying to figure out like, Hey, am I in the right spot? Am I good? I need some feedback. Like, you know, am I, am I supposed to be here? And uh, you know, at the end of it, it's kind of like, yeah, of course you're supposed to be there. But you know, as a kid, you don't think of that anyway. So that's kind of the, the topic we're going to, you know, dig into a little bit is realizing maybe it's society. I think that's probably the biggest example today is fitting into society, um, fitting into your friend circle or your tribe or fitting in at work. You know, that's, those are, those are three big areas where I think each one of us struggle a little bit and, you know, Hey, let's, let's start asking questions. Let's start bringing it out and figure out why we even feel that way. Go ahead, Melon. I reckon that this really dovetails well with last week's conversation where we were talking about the ability to generate and sustain deep social connections over a lifetime as a massive impact on mental, physical health, longevity, happiness, et cetera. And all of us have those times when you're, when you're the new guy or you're in a new situation and it's, 
I reckon it really fits in with, uh, are you able to generate a connection? Are you able to put that aside or get out, step over that barrier and create new friends, new relationships and so on in those new situations? Or are you, are you in that overwhelm state for a bit longer and you just sort of stay turtle and the opportunity passes? And I think that, I think that for a lot of people, I mean, for a lot of men in particular, that the opportunity does pass. And people yeah. sort of don't do it because they, they, get, they get older. So it's not exactly the same, but I reckon it, it really fits well with last week's. No, uh, it absolutely does. And, you know, the example from last week, you know, you brought it up, is the being in the train, you know, and, and having those conversations. And mm. most people were like, well, you know, here I am, I'm in this room, and do I fit in? Uh, probably not. These aren't my people or nobody knows me or oh, I'd be wasting their time anyway. You know, like they kind of brought that up. But where does that come from when you really dig into it? It comes from yourself, your own perception of you, right? So in my mind, the, the first step of this whole thing is if I'm asking myself, do I fit in and am I accepted into this group? The first thing I'm asking is, do I accept myself, right? Do I fit into my own category of who I want to be? Am I being the real me? Or am I trying to be something I'm not, right? Like, again, like think of, uh, you know, if you, if you grew up and you didn't have a lot of money and you worked for everything that you had and you have that respect for everything that you earned and you go into a room of a bunch of like, you know, silver spoon and mouth people that like have no appreciation for anything, they are just handed absolutely everything. It's just like, yeah, they have money and they have status, do you really want to waste your time and energy like trying to be on the same level as those people? It's just like, no, I already know who I am. Like I work for everything I had. I appreciate everything. I don't even want to be in the same room. These people No, I know who I am and I'm not that. And then that's it. That's the end of the, the attempt. So I don't know. Yeah. I think it all starts with yourself. Yeah. Just to add to, to that, as soon as we started talking about this, I, I thought about something. I've always kind of came to the decision that you, you have to be really careful because you can belong to whatever group that it is you're trying to belong to, right? Whatever tribe. Um, so I think the, the most important fundamental question you need to ask yourself is, is that the tribe you want to belong to, right? Like, so whether, like, let's just take a profession. Like, you know, I've... I haven't always wanted to be a pilot, but once I became a pilot, I realized that that's something I wanted to belong to. Well, within that organization of aviation, you know, there's certain groups that you can belong to within, within aviation. You know, there's certain personality types that you can, you can surround yourself with. And um, very fortunately for me, I've found the Matt Hoppers of aviation who kind of set a really good precedent for me where, you know, people like him are all about helping others. Like that guy will go to hell and back to help a friend come out in front. So I, I've been, and, but not just him. I mean, there's others like him, but I'm just using him as an example because he's been on our show. So you have to be really, really careful by making that decision. Jordan Peterson has a really uh, a really good quote that sticks out and it's in his book of the, uh, the Antidote Against Chaos, The 12 Rules for Life. And he says that, you know, you're going, and I, I'm just kind of paraphrasing here, but he says, essentially, you're going to see what you're aiming at or something along those lines. You're going to, you know, what you aim at is what you see. So when you're looking at a group and I'm now I'm talking to like a younger group, cause I'm, I'm kind of thinking of myself when I was a teenage boy, but when you're looking at a group and you want to belong to it, you only see what you think you want to see, right? Because that's what you're, you're aiming to be part of this group. You might not be looking at the rest of the group. And this is important. This is a really good distinction because you know, I think I alluded to this in, in the show when I was growing up, I grew up in a really, really bad neighborhood. And a lot of my friends eventually ended up joining gangs. Some of them went to juvenile hall. I'm sure that some of them are probably dead by now. One of my closest friends, um, his name is Tony, is uh, fought really, really long, hard addiction with like heroin and like really hardcore drugs. And has just had a really difficult life. He's been in and out of jail. I mean, this is a kid that I absolutely admired, right? Like this is somebody that I looked up to. He was a really great uh, artist. And I remember as a kid, I mean, we were young, we we're definitely younger than 10. And he always talked about being a cartoonist. In my mind, I just thought, man, my, my best friend is going to be a, car a famous cartoonist one day. 
So this is a person I admired. And so if I just saw Tony for what I wanted to see, I was only going to see the good in it, right? But that's what's dangerous. You have to be able to step back and evaluate and be like, hey, what is the whole picture? Because I could have easily followed him along that path. Um, so I think that's I think that's a very important, I guess if you want to say bifurcation, like you have to just realize that, you know, why are you wanting to be part of that tribe? I think that's probably the most important question you need to ask yourself. Because all of us want to fit in, right? Like that is a massive driver for humans, you know, mainly hairless apes. Some of us still have big silver stripes of hair down our spine, but we're freaking communal animals. That's what we've grown out of. And, and, and that desire to fit in is a massive evolutionary driver because the, the monkey that doesn't fit in the group gets taken by the snake or the freaking other predators, or it doesn't, it doesn't have someone there to help it out when it needs it. So that, that driver is a massive one, Raf. I know, you know, another great friend to us, Sione, talked about this with a group that he was in. He had, he had some mates and they all went off the deep end and he had to like fully disengage on Like he had a moment of clarity and, and he went off and he joined the military and became the, guy, became the amazing guy that he is. There's a draw. There's a massive draw to fit in. And when, you, when you're young, I think it's not necessarily clear that you could be separate or different than the people you're, who are around you at school. You know, that teenage group, you know, you can have that trying to belong, that really strong desire to find your people. And I think what you've, you've hit something really important here, Ralph, around trying to see that the individual tree for the forest, you know, like what is actually the whole whole picture here and what, what what's the drive? Like where, what's the trajectory? Where are these people heading in life? So like maybe maybe you could tell us a little bit about how you managed to the moment for you when you were, you know, a teenager and with these guys and, and what, what descended upon you? Like, what was the moment or how did you see that spot where you could choose another path? Well, I think for me, I always talk about my dad and how he was just a massive influence. Um, you know, like he, he was very authoritarian and in, in, in certain regards, like he, you know, he wasn't going to, I knew that he wasn't going to allow me doing drugs or, or smoking or any of those things. Like he was very open about it. Like you weren't allowed to do any of that stuff. And he, he would threaten, like, listen, if I catch you, I'm going to, I'm going to beat you. <laughs> he was going to follow through with that. Um, so I didn't want to test that. So I think that's that, that healthy sense of fear towards my father, eventually as an older man turned into respect. Cause I realized that he probably understood more than absolutely I did as a young child, what I was up against. Right. Like I was in a low socioeconomic environment where crime was rife and he had limited resources one of those resources was putting the fear of god in me and i think that was i needed that the other thing was just i think stupid luck to be honest with you because i remember i had seen just enough terrible things and i don't even know if i told the story once and i and i just thought about this i think i might have told my wife because i just you know certain thoughts you block out but i remember being at a party, I was probably like 10, 10 years old, plus or minus a couple of years. And it was this kid uh, across the street, lived in an apartment complex. His name was Mondo. And he had an older brother that was part of, associated with some gang. And they threw a party. And anyways, you know, kids being kids, we're riding our bikes around while there's this massive block party. And of course there's chaos and screaming and girls. And, but we weren't interested in any of that. We're just kind of like, I don't know. We're just looking for adventure. And I remember being inside this apartment complex and this fight breaks out. And it's kind of scary because we're in this bedroom. Somehow we sneak into this bedroom and there's chaos ensues and there's screaming and yelling. And it sounds like people are getting thrown against furniture. And as I'm, as we're trying to run out the room so we can get out the front door and get away from all this, because we don't know what, you know, for all we know, well, we do know because we're part of this neighborhood that shootings can happen in the drop of a hat. So we're trying to make our way out of this place. And as I'm walking out, I look out, like just happen to look out my left, which is where the bathroom was for this apartment. And his brother, was in the bathtub with a broomstick shoved in his rectum. Like some, so this fight broke out. It was like rivaling gangs and they, they beat the, the piss out of him and they sodomized him. I mean, it was like, it's funny because I haven't thought about this thing for decades. And I just, it just came to me one day. Cause you know, having these conversations with you guys, it's like, my memory goes, no, man, you did live. I mean, I walked a fine line. Like I absolutely walked a fine line. And I think that I had enough of these events where something in me was like, I can't go down this road, you know, like this, 
Like nothing good is going to, even as a young boy, I knew nothing good can come from this. Now, was it stupid luck? Was it serendipity? Was it, I think it was all of it. It was my father. It was, you know, um, just eventually I ended up meeting good role models. I remember my, my principal in, in uh, elementary, I don't remember his name, but I can picture his face. And uh, I just remember for some reason he took an interest in me and I ended for some reason, I ended up running for like uh, sergeant at arms or something. And that means I got to raise the flag every morning. And I remember I was so proud of that one job, you know, like it, it was such a, it's, it's so it's looking back, it's kind of dumb, but it was, to me, I felt important. And I, I needed that as a young boy. Not that I wasn't getting it from home, but it's nice to get validated outside, right? Because now you're part of the community. You feel like you're, you're giving back. So I think it's all a combination of all these things, you know? And then I've, I've talked, I've been very open, um, you know, openly just seeing people selling drugs on the street. You know, there's the cops were visiting our street every night. Firefighters were there every night. And I somehow was able to make that distinction. When I saw them, I immediately knew, like in my heart, I knew these were the, the good guys and the good girls, right? Like I knew that, they represented the hope and the light that I, that I, that I admired. And um, so just, again, man, it wasn't because I was smart. I just, it was something in me. I think I saw enough bad shit that I was like, I don't want, like, it's scary. You know what I mean? Think about it. Like, it's like, I think about that all the time. Like, man, what really kept me from getting stabbed or shot or, you know, I mean, literally half my elementary class ended up going to jail or was part of a gang. They'd asked me like, religiously every other week like hey you should join our gang and then they threaten to kick my ass and i had and you know like they're my friends one week and they're chasing me the next week it's it was uh yeah it was confusing i, I just by the grace of god man i i honestly to this day i don't know if i had an aha moment i think it was just an accumulation of all these things together just kind of painted it you know it was enough for me to just be like ah i should just keep steering a different direction because that's like exactly what mike has been talking about like do you feel you belong do you feel you fit in are you striving for acceptance from a group like that yeah. that external and, desire to fit in so strong right if i could just could add to that and just because this is what we we're talking about i knew then because i knew all these kids right we all started in kindergarten but i knew then that if i wanted to be part of these groups i could have they kept asking me because they genuinely liked me as a as a friend but they were wanting to get to, they were, they're wanting me to join a gang to, you know, commit violence and commit crimes. And I think I, at the time I knew that again, healthy, a healthy sense of fear towards my dad, knowing that if I came home and looked like I was in a gang, he, he would beat my ass. But um, that's what I'm saying. You need to make that distinction because somehow, somehow by the grace of God, I was able to make the distinction. Like yeah, I, I would love to be part of this group but I don't want to do the things that you're about to do, which I knew they were going to do. Right. Like they, they would brag about like the, you know, they just fought this other uh, rival gang and that's why they were trying to get more numbers so they can dominate, you know, more streets and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it, listen, man, as a young boy to say that it wasn't enticing, I'd be lying to you, but I had enough good people pulling, pulling on me to just kind of be like, don't go that direction, you know? That, that's crazy, Raf, that you can look back and you can see not big things, but so many like little things along that path that all kind of led you to where you're at, you know, and uh, it's cool when you can pause and you have the ability to see those things, you know, but fa hey, fast forward to what, 2011, 2012, and then you're part of the best gang ever, the Wolfpack, and, you know, we didn't really like it, but we kept you around because you're a minority. I mean, let's yeah. just be honest. But <laughs> I, I wasn't even part of it. I was indoctrinated later. So I was in a, a late addition, but it's something that we're very proud of. It was a good gang. It was a good gang. It was the best. It's the best gang ever. <laughs> we're the, we're the 30, 38 best friends that anyone could have, you know, <laughs> whatever it was. And Colonel Hines was like, absolutely the godfather. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Jeez. Well, you Just know, bring yeah. Bringing yeah. that up, man. It's, um, you know, listening to your story and, and kind of thinking how, how fast that shift can go. Um, you know, here, I'll, I'll throw out some, uh, I'll call it current events because it's still pretty current. So the special operations community is coming under a lot of scrutiny um, in the last couple of years, the United States, but also uh, Australia as well. They were, they're, the Australian SES were tied into it as well. So uh, pretty much that everybody's been in Afghanistan or in Iraq for the last 20 years. Um, 
And there's a reason for it is, uh, you know, time in country, operational deployments, um, just be, doing the things that they asked to be done is insurmountably hard, you know, on the, on the human psyche and uh, you change. Anybody that's gone overseas and into combat never comes back the same person. All right. That's just fact. You send guys on five, six, seven, eight, nine deployments. You're, you're, you know, geez, man, you're going to have a lot of issues. So in 2018, there was a comprehensive review in the United States done by Congress, which was a pretty much a cultural review of all special operations. So uh, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, uh, everybody that was under that, under SOCOM, pretty much looking at what the hell is going on in our ranks. So there was a lot of issues where, you know, and, and keep in mind, this is like less than 1% of the force. Okay. So less than 1%. Majority of soft is doing their job. Everybody, you know, the majority want to be there and are doing the right thing. So I'm not discounting the entire force. That is not the key here. It's addressing some of the situations and the culture that was happening. So a lot of guys join special operations because of, you know, the expectations that, hey, you're going to go kick in doors, kill terrorists, do X, Y, Z, blah, 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 blah. You're the best of the best, all that happy horseshit. Um, once you get there and you see how it is for real, that it's a lot different, that there's 90% of logistics and training to get to the sexy 10% of actually getting to do that stuff uh, and a lot more things. But your expectations, okay, is what I'm getting at. What happened after a while is everybody had so much pride on getting into the soft community. Everybody wanted in. I just want to get in. I want to be part of this and their history and, and this mission and this unit and whatever. After a while, these guys stuck around in these units for a while. These subcultures started developing. And that's platoons, troops, companies. Everybody's got these patches and they're like, Hey man, who are you? Well, I'm an army ranger, but I'm in this uh, regiment and our unofficial name is this. And this is who we are defined as. Hey, what are you? Oh, I'm a Navy SEAL. Okay. Uh, yeah, but we're, we're, you know, we're the, the white devils and this is how we operate and blah, 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 blah. You know, you, you can go down the list of every soft unit. And what they found was the organizational standards of in, in historic doctrine of what was already there was being diminished by the subcultures. So yes, you were a SEAL. Yes, you were a Ranger, a Green Beret, a PJ, or you know whoever. But it came down to, well, yeah, we are that, but we're part of this other group though. And we're part of this regiment, this platoon, this team, whatever. And they made up their own rules and their own ideas of what was acceptable. Right. And Australian SAS, too. They had a lot of issues. And, hey, you know, like, what was it? This is, this is all on class, by the way. There's none of this. This is all open source. There's nothing crazy going on. I wouldn't talk about it if it wasn't. But, like, you know, for the Australian SAS, we looked at it and it was like, hey, you're a new guy in Afghanistan. Well, you're going to you're going to execute this Taliban fighter. And then that's your welcome into this team, you know, of this. Right. And that they recorded it. It came out, it was investigated and that was acceptable within that culture, you know, and they're not the only ones. There's multiple other instances. It's at those times where you got to go. And, and that's ultimately what happened in the United States. It was so common. They're like, hold on a second. What the hell is going on here? This is not the group that I wanted to be a part of. There was multiple people raising voices saying, when did the Ranger tab become more, uh, important than the regiment tab when, when did the seal trident not become so cool that i'm more worried about a platoon patch when did the you know the, the force recon and pjs and all this stuff this is like this is still pretty cool to be a part of man why do you have to make it why do you have to change it there's nothing wrong with it you know and, it, and it's these it's these individuals that want to come into this culture or any culture and they want to abuse it and turn it on so it benefits themselves for whatever their needs are. And let's be honest, sometimes they have some sick, 
needs because of, you know, personal issues, combat stress, uh, their morals and values change as time goes on. Like I said, you send a dude on five, six, seven deployments into combat. He's not going to really care about killing people anymore. He's just going to be, I don't really care anymore. This, that, whatever his, his, his perception is totally different. And there's some really bad dudes out there that I've run into and I feel bad for them and they need help. But, uh, you know, and, and it's just being in that culture be like, do I even want to be a part of this anymore? Uh, I have some friends that got out because they saw where the, where things were happening or witnessed some of these instances, again, less than 1%. And they're just like, this isn't who I am. This is not why I joined up. I joined for the right reasons. These are not the right reasons. And I, I got to leave. And they ended their enlistments. They got out and did other things, you know, which is, which is totally fine. But I respect them for that because they're like, this no longer lies with what I joined up to do and what I believe in and to be part of this group. So I'm, I'm leaving. Um, that was disheartening. And, you know, for me still being active duty and being in going through that process and hearing your commanders talk about, well, maybe, maybe Congress will just disband you. You know, how, how could you got, how would you feel then if they just read that? And they actually did that an exercise. They read a letter to us. It was, it was fake by the, uh, the, the uh, four star in charge of us, he wrote this letter and it was a, uh, it was saying, Hey, the soft units are being disbanded because of the culture and the wrong people are coming in and trying to fit into something that isn't what aligns with the United States and our country and, and our values and morals and all that stuff. And dude, it was eye opening. It was like, can you imagine if they disbanded us? You know, is that's crushing, but you know, that made me go into, you know, everybody was like talking about integrity, culture versus subculture, um, maintaining the standards, realizing the why and what, why you started on this whole thing. And then maintaining those uh, relationships with the right people in there and uh, being open and honest about some things and be like, Hey man, remember that happened before? Yeah. We can't do that shit again. Like the, not even close. Um, and it was like, all the older guys were learning how, Hey, we have to refit in. Like, how are we going to fit into this? Because they came down and hammered all this off. No more long hair, no more beards. Everybody was in uniforms. Like they treated us like infantry grunts. And everybody was like, how do I fit into this? Like this does not compute. So it, that, that was a challenge that came up, you know, listen to the RAF and all those small details, kind of the same thing, man, with our community. It, it's tough. It, it, it sucks to be plain honest with you. Go ahead, Mel. I mean, <clears throat> norms are like the accepted ways of doing things that are not, not written in any book. And those norms can either be positive or negative. And you can have a group cohesion. So the adherence to the norm is either loose or strong. So you can have like a positive norm, but no one really cares. And it's pretty loose. You can have a negative norm that's really the group's really strong and tight and they adhere to. And this, ha this has happened in aviation units. It, ha it, happens, it happens in human society for all these reasons we were talking about us being such social creatures and desire, the desire to fit in, you know, the effort you go to to impress the people that you don't necessarily care about. I mean, that's, that's I mean, look at the influences. Uh, you you want to go but, down that rabbit hole, man? <laughs> no, no, I don't. I mean, just... This is not confined to the military is what yeah. I'm trying to say. But this is just human behavior. And this, this is a thing called normalized deviation where the behavioral standard, the average accepted behavior can drift over time. And it takes like superb leadership to right the ship and keep it on course. And when you have small groups, it occurs more often. And when the small groups are remote from like central command and leadership and when those small groups are operating on their own, for an extended period of time with the same people, those really strong personalities can rise up and stuff is going through the courts at the moment with the Australian SAS. There's a Victoria Cross winner. It's the equivalent of the uh, Medal of Honour. So the highest highest uh, award for bravery in Australia is going through. And the truth will come out there. I have trust in the Australian court system the same way that you guys would in yours. And, and we'll hear what, what has happened there. But it ha it's happened in aviation units as well. There's been fast jet communities who uh, would do a race down a valley in Italy and eventually 
like they would, they would clock these aircraft, like what was the fastest time you could get going down this particular valley and it sounds great. And then someone hit a cable car, like they cut a cable. They didn't even know they hit a cable and a, and a, a whole cable car full of people going up a mountain fell to their deaths. And that investigation, it was like they wanted to hang the individual, but everyone in the whole chain of command had done the same thing when it was their turn and everyone knew it was happening. So these things happen because of this desire to fit in. And I think this is what we're talking about. You know, what is the group norm and, and how can you be strong enough to be, well, that doesn't fit with my principles or my values or even more than that, how can you write the ship? How can you be the one who's a positive example? It's very difficult. Mm-hmm. Very difficult. I think it's it's hard enough to disengage, let alone actually influence a group that you is not matching your values anymore. And that's where you need individual like moral leadership and people. It's not necessarily the rank on your shoulder or the position you have in an organization, but it's, you know, like Raf's talking about doing the right thing in some instances because he had a fear relationship with his dad and that morphed into respect as he got older and realized what was going on. But that's a man standing up for his family in the midst of a community where he's like not aligned with the community's values in that area. It's, it's difficult. Let's do it. This is human. This is human behavior. Yeah. If I could just, cause I feel like we wouldn't do um, Tony senior's question any justice. If we don't answer his question directly. And you know, how do you, how do you know that you belong to a group, a family, you know, a tribe. And I think that is almost obvious sometimes to a point, although I say that, but then sometimes you feel you start questioning it, especially in relationships. But um, I think it's, you know, it's, what what do they say within 12 or within like 20 seconds? uh, At least I remember reading this in that book, uh, how to win and influence people in in like 90, 90 seconds, the uh, Carnegie book. But it was, I remember that somewhere along in that book, it said that, you know, within 20 seconds or thereabouts, you'll know if the, the woman that you're talking to is somebody that you genuinely want to be a maid of, right? Like, ooh, I could see myself dating and I could see myself marrying this woman and blah, 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 blah. And I think we have the same experience when we meet a, a friend who you kind of just already know, like, I really like this guy. You know, like, I, I like the way he's talking. I like his physiology. I like his energy. I like things he's saying, you know, he's funny, he's blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we, or maybe a, a, like a, a girl that you want to be friends with that you, maybe you're working with. And I, I've always noticed that the people that I'm the closest with, my, my uh, proclivity to be close to them was almost instant, right? Like it was, it wasn't hard. I mean, Mike and I are a perfect example. We met, we had awkward exchanges and then we had a conversation and then we just kind of got along and then we just started hanging out. And then, you know, work morphed into hanging out some more and and then after our overseas tour we hung out some more and kind of kept in touch same thing with melon melon you and i met i was i think i was already drunk when i met you i was shirtless (laughs) and you're like who's this yeah you're like who's this clown no Um, shirt tattoos star star tattoos on your shoulders with your t-shirt tucked into your back of your jeans yeah, yeah yeah but let's not get too crazy because literally 30 minutes later you're dancing in your dungarees doing the Macarena. So let's not, <laughs> let's not start throwing t- stones. But the point is the, the relationships that mean the most to me have always been fast relationships. And by fast, I mean, like, I just knew the instant I met you guys, like, this is like, I don't know what it is, man, but I like this guy. And yeah. it's not, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of things. It's a lot like you, you have to give yourself some, some credibility for your ability to, to catch on to these things, you know, like it's not what you say, it's not what you do. It's all the things it's the way you present yourself. It's how you, how you had, like the way you were around Cheza and how you, how proud you were of your family. I immediately love that about you. I was like, man, this guy's all about his family. Like I, I like him, you know, and then, and then meeting Heath, which is a compliment to, to you. If you know, if you're great friends with a guy like Heath, like, why would I not like you? Even though, I try not to like you, but you know, damn it, you're friends with Heath. So that's, it's almost undeniable. Yeah. Yeah. You, I, like yeah. This, this, this rapid decision-making and it's not even a decision, it's actually gut and it's not the conscious thinking part of your mind. It's the, you know, the older part behind there. It's all those layers of animal stuff. And that instinct you're having there is, you know, 
parts of your brain that move fast and they're processing like a million pieces of information and it will take you a while to sit and think what was it and these are the things where you can have that gut feel like i'm in a bad situation here and i need to get out and you don't even know what it is or you know i was walking in new york city with with chesar after we went and saw a jazz band i don't know if told you guys this we're walking we just decided we're going to walk all the way home just like night time in new york is a bit of a magical just you know date night for us and all of a sudden i just was like something's happened and i just pushed against the wall and turned and there were two guys behind us and they were they were like eyeing us off and i just fully shaped up and i'm like right i'm really going to hurt one guy and that's probably all i'm going to be able to do here and they just bake they just fully froze when they saw me and then they went, walked as fast as they could and ran as soon as they got past us and went around a corner. And we were like, man, we need to get out of here. And later, it took a long time to process what had happened. And it was, they stopped talking. They were walking along behind us, just talking. And then the talking stopped. And it's like, I didn't know that at the time. But so that feeling you're having, that instinct of these are good people or these are bad people, or this is a good situation. Like I, I 100% agree with you, Ralph. Like trust that feeling. And then over time, look for evidence, yes or no. You know, like now is this character and values and principles coming out from this person or this group? Is this something that I want to remain a part of? And, and when you're a kid, you know, when you're a 10-year-old, that's extraordinary that you had the ability to see that this is not something I want to be a part of because normally we're blinded by, you know, social pressures and we're in, we are already sensing that we're a part of that group, already got an identity with them. Yeah. So 100%, yeah. I reckon that gut feel, that gut feels uh, massively reliable. And anytime I've ever ignored it, by the way, later I've been like, man, that was a stupid decision. Yeah, the, the, the gut feeling and the intuition that you have is definitely it. And it, honestly, it's kind of how like I met Raph. I was a E5 at the time, walking into their CP for the first time, full of officers and warrants in there. And all I wanted to do was go in and say hi to the pilots because they were, they were the guys that were flying us in and out on the missions. And I was like, I at least want them to put a face to the guy that they're dropping off on the ground. And I walked into there and I said hi to him. And like I said, I'm an E5 and look like a, you know, a bum with long hair and a beard. And I mean, I, I did not belong in that room, but I and was you like, were, you were putting a, a warrant officer packet. in. I think I remember oh something God, about a warrant officer. Damn. I'm just, I'm just trying to make sure that doesn't get left out of the story. Go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. God, it's terrible. Um, no, but when I was in there, you know, I, I think I said just some funny things. Like normally you walk in there as an E5 and you're like, you know, by the book and it's like, oh, know where you're at, boy, you know, but I went in there just totally relaxed. And I was like, hey, man, hey, I'm going to be working with you guys. And, you know, and I said something funny. And like, I remember Raph, you know, had a shit eating laugh and he was sitting down there in the corner with his hand on his knee and Boggs and a couple other guys start laughing. And I was like, all right, yeah, OK, these guys are cool. You know, I'm feeling them out because your pre your your previous people uh, that were there, they were not fun at all. They were so wired tight and just they they wouldn't laugh at anything. So I was like, oh, okay, well they're rolling in. They got a good attitude. There's some there's some people in here, not just officers or soldiers, but people. And that's how I kind of start picking out everybody. And I was like, okay, I think I belong here. Fast forward five months they're all indoctrinating me into the wolf pack, which was like all the pilots and the crew chiefs of the whole company and everything. And they're inviting me in officially, you know, and it didn't start off in me trying too hard or forcing something. It was just like, Hey, I'm just going to walk in here and be a human being and tell a joke and be fun and just be approachable. And, you know, we had conversations more than work. Like you're in Afghanistan. Okay. Let's not talk about war. <laughs> you know, it was like, Hey man, did you ever watch this movie? Hey, did you ever do this? And just have normal conversations and tell funny jokes and stories and laugh your head off. I don't think I've laughed as hard as I did some nights than we did in the chow hall where dinner would be like three and a half hours long, just because we were in there laughing so fucking hard, you know, just about random stuff. And I was like, man, it just naturally happened because I felt like I belonged. And I didn't even have to try. So that's how I kind of base off my relationships now of do I belong here as I throw a couple things out there where I'm not even trying. I just have normal, regular conversations of what I'm comfortable with. And you're going to get something back, whether it's a look, a body gesture, the finger, 
or a smile. <laughs> it could be whatever. Um, you know, and I just kind of base it off that, man. But that feel is absolutely, you know, it absolutely tells you. You're right. You're both right on that. And when you can when you can actually be yourself, when you're confident enough and you know, you're happy enough in yourself just to be that rather than like, how do I need to be to fit in, which is much more, you know, that's, that's normal. You know, you get to a new unit, you meet your girlfriend's parents for the first time, you know, like there's human humans will try and put a mask on to make sure that we give the best impression. And when you're able to just be like, you know what, I'm going to just be myself, you know, do you accept yourself? Am I being the real me? These questions from Tony senior, they're often when the best relationships occur. Like just by luck, my first ever date with Cherry, my my younger brother Hugh was there. Like he'd he'd come over from Melbourne. It was you know it's like an eight hour drive for Easter weekend together, and I'd met Cherry the week before and organised a date. And then, I, and then I was like calling her saying, "Oh my my brother's coming over," and she thought I was trying to blow her off. But I was like, "No no no, we can all hang out." And you think <laughs> like one McFadden boy is enough, right? But anyway, so the first ever date. We picked her up at midday and dropped her home at midnight. And, you know, you got your normal fake first date, you know, mm, yes, I'll wear a top hat and a freaking monocle, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like everyone does. And, and it was just like, my brother was there. And, you know, we're just, you can't, you, you can't do that in front of your brother. And so she always says it's a massive thing that she'd got to really see what I was like straight away. And still I was trying to, you know, when I forgot when I was like, remembered that she was there, I was, I was still trying, but you, you know, I was singing along to songs on the radio and stuff with my terrible singing voice because whatever. And, and that was lucky, you know, because I didn't have that, you know, the monocle and top hat moment. So, but if you can make yourself and be yourself, then you've never got anything that you've got to like, well, I've got to maintain this facade now, you know, and that's a big deal. Yeah. I, I think it's funny because I know that dressing up to you basically just means picking a singlet or a wife beater that doesn't have a mustard stain and you probably iron it. And that to <laughs> you is like, oh, like the monocle and the top hat. But I know it really, you mean the wife beater. <laughs> um, and then the second thing I was going to say is, and I'm not trying to say this to sound arrogant, but I think I've gotten to the point, not clearly I'm taking stock of where I'm at in life. So I'm a lot more comfortable uh, in who you know, in my family, in my, in my position, in my, in my groups, but I've gotten to the point where, and I, I'd like to just express that this is a possibility for everybody is, you know, I know that I could be part of other groups, but I kind of choose not to because Melon, I don't know if you remember this, but probably a year ago, you talked about how important it is to say no over yes. Right. Cause you only have so much time and resources and energy. So you really have to be kind of picky with the with the amount of time and resources that you put into um other new ventures whether it's new relationships you know whatever it is like they better be dang at this point in my life like they better be pretty damn special because i mean i have a lot to 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 give to my family and my friends and you know this podcast and so i've gone to the point where you know i come across a lot of people and i'm like yeah you guys seem nice but i just yeah you know if it's meant to be it'll happen but i'm not really going to put effort into it i mean i know it sounds arrogant. I'm not trying to come off arrogant. I, what I'm saying is I just, it's, I know that I, I could be part of groups, but I just, I choose not to because I'd rather make the groups that I'm part of maybe a little bit better. Right. Like I think I would be more effective by putting that energy into the groups that I already exist with and hopefully, you know, do what Matt Hopper does, like try to lift everybody, try to make everybody better, try to get everyone, you know, to the finish line. And, and that healthy no, and that ability to say, you know, I'll come back to you before committing, like where you, you value your, you value the other person's request that you give it some consideration before saying yes. But I'll also, I'll also point out that, you know, you've just joined a new business and you've just found an amazing crew that you've been going through your sins with. So this is not Raf saying, I've got my friends already and freaking you didn't make a ticket on, you don't get a ticket on the boat. So this is, it's a considered thoughtful. What are these people like? What's my gut feel? And then, well, these guys are unreal. And now I've got my crash buddies for my sim training. You know what I mean? And you really commit and train and study together. But it's not like, you know, you can, you're respecting yourself in some ways of like, 
what are the principles and values and characters of these people? And do I want to commit and do I want to have these people as an influence in my life and et cetera? Which comes yeah. from, I think, much more confident, like, do I accept myself and am I being the real me? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I look at it as, uh, you know, the whole quality over quantity thing. You know, there's only so much time. If you look at it as like as a uh, time and energy and development, you know, it's, it's a lot easier for me to invest my time in five good people than 30 good people. You know, hey, everybody gets three minutes of my time versus, you know, everybody gets 15 minutes of my time and I can actually really get to know you and invest in you and, you know, it's only going to make it better. So uh, I'm, I'm the same way. And I think as we get older, um, our groups and our circles get smaller. And I don't think that's by any randomness. I mean, I mean, we all have friends and, you know, there's, there's really, but like your, your real tight knit people, like for a lot of people I talk to, it's, it's a smaller circle you know, and maybe it's that subculture, but it's a really redefined one. And that, you know, is completely comfortable uh, with opening up, you know, like last week's episode where, you know, we can talk about anything. We can be genuine. Uh, whenever I walk into a room, it's just like, nobody cares about work. Nobody cares. It's just, you know, who, who's in there. It's Mike, it's Raph, it's Melon. Nobody cares. And, and it's just, you know, it's, it's very special, like Raph said. So uh, quality over quantity, um, I can agree with for sure. And I think I it probably- is to be able to be open still where you can have that, you can trust your gut and be like, I know that there's still going to be amazing people I'm going to come across and making those new connections are important. So the example might be, you know, again, picking on Tio, Raph's joined a new business. He's in with a new cohort of guys you know, undergoing training at the same time. These are going to be important in my life. I'm going to commit into this and lean into the relationship and give, you know, plenty and help guys out and so on and then see what happens and building a new circle that's going to be important for you moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you guys said it best. I was, again, I was, I wasn't trying to sound arrogant. It's not like I'm sort of going, Oh, I'm, I'm better than you guys. I'm not going to join your stupid club. That's not it at all. Just you really have to choose wisely because you can be part of those groups, right? You just have to, you have to decide what, what fits you best. Discernment, right? Like discernment is a value that's referred to in a lot of books by different names. And that's that ability to really weigh things up wisely. And I think that's a great word to include in there. So I think we're probably, you know, I don't know whether we can ever do Tony Senior justice. I know that if we had him on now, there'd be gems of wisdom that we'd, we'd be leaving with celebrating. But are you fitting in? What does that mean? Do you feel you belong? Do you feel you fit in? Are you striving for acceptance from a group? Should you be striving for acceptance from a group? Probably the key part Mike uh, left us with was, do you accept yourself? And am I being the real me? Let us know how you guys feel. We, uh, we always appreciate your time. We, we love getting together ourselves. And you know it makes us very happy to get feedback and hear that we're making a difference for people out there. And uh, yeah, one, once again... A challenge for the week is uh, look at your own life and see, are you being the real you? Are you fitting in? What does that mean for you? And let us know how you get on. And uh, we'll see you next week. Take care.